0: There you go. There you have it. How many of you thought you'd see that movie clip uh, at church this morning? Anybody planned on that? Uh, how, how many of you, though, would put that at the top of your list as like one of your all-time favorite Christmas movies? We got a, got a few of you around the room. All right. I, I, would kind of, I, I kind of agree. I kind of feel the same way. But uh, uh, it may not feel like Christmas, but uh, it is Christmas here today at, at Genesis Church. My name is Paul Mumaw, uh, and I'm the lead pastor here. And, well, how many of you would say that you're ready for Christmas? Uh, anybody here crazy enough? We we got a couple. I, I know that some of you are crazy enough uh, to think that it is time or that it should be time uh, for Christmas, and maybe for you, it's never too early uh, to watch a great movie like that, and uh, what a better movie to, uh, you know, kind of describe, kind of help uh, present the anticipation, you know, for Christmas, and the Christmas story, and Ralphie's longing for the Red rider BB gun uh, does a great job uh, of creating uh, that anticipation. Uh, I want to invite you, if you would today, if you brought your Bible, to turn to John chapter 1. Uh, If you use something like YouVersion, feel free to go there with us uh, on your smartphone. Uh, Or if you're using the story, which Ben referenced just a moment ago, um, it's chapter 22, and we're going to start right in the beginning of that. And we're starting up, as Ben uh, just mentioned, again, a year-long series that we've been in here at Genesis called The Story. And if you're new to Genesis, what we are doing is we're reading through the Bible, uh, any year and we're challenging people uh, to read with us and we're also talking about it here on Sunday mornings. And, uh, and so I would encourage you, again, to get one of these if you don't have it. Um, if you want to pick one up, you know, on, online, you can do that for sure. Uh, maybe you started reading with us in the Old Testament and you kind of fell off along the way. That's all right. Start fresh uh, with us in Chapter 22 as we get rolling in the New Testament. And maybe if you decide, you know what, I just kind of want to read my own Bible, uh, we've provided a reading plan for you on the back of the worship program. And so you can follow along uh, with your own Bible and, uh, and stay engaged with us on the story. But anyways, after 21 weeks of working through the Old Testament, we're we're kicking off the New Testament today, and and I know it's September, uh, but again, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, and for just a few minutes... Uh, Here in the beginning, here's what I want to invite you to do. I want you to try and imagine, if you would, some of that growing anticipation leading up to that very first Christmas 2,000 years ago. Now, if you have ever read through or tried to read through something like the Old Testament, I think we'd all agree that it's easy to get a little discouraged. Uh, It's easy to get lost, to get stuck in the Old Testament, but do this if you would. I mean, put yourself in the sandals of a Jewish man or a Jewish woman living at the time of the birth of Jesus, because when you look at the entirety of the Old Testament and you consider the thousands of years that had passed, I mean, that word discouraging takes on an entirely different meaning. Because on the one hand, you know, there are plenty of moments, there are some great moments, some obvious moments in the Old Testament that we've looked at together where the presence of God is clear and and it's obvious, you know, like when God led the the Israelites out of Egypt and and he guided them with a cloud by day and a fire by night and he parted the Red Sea. I mean, those moments, you know, had to be really special and they had to be very encouraging moments, but those moments weren't the norm. And, And when you're working through the Old Testament then, And you're reading it for yourself, and and you consider all of the time past, all of the years past. I mean, more often than not, you just get this sense that the people were alone, and they were searching, and and they spent so much time wandering in exile, uh, feeling lost. Uh, feeling detached from God, I mean, it's what we call or what we've referred to around here from time to time as the lower story perspective. Now, just so you know what I'm talking about when I say that, um, at different times uh, throughout the Bible, um, we see that the Bible actually has two stories, if you would. There is a lower story. Now, when we say lower story, we would talk about our daily lives, all right? It's what we see. It's our perspective. It's the, the lower story assumes that I have limited knowledge and understanding. And and so I've only got so much information And from the lower story perspective You know when you read the Old Testament You kind of get the feeling that God takes long lunch breaks I mean he's just gone And he's absent from time to time That's the lower story perspective But there's another perspective too And there's another set of lenses if you would That you can read uh, through uh, the Bible And it's what we'll call God's upper story And the upper story is about seeing the story of the Bible As one continuous story from God's perspective and when you do that, and when you try and read from God's perspective, you see that the people weren't always faithful, and the people all weren't, they, they, they didn't listen, and, and they chose their ways over and over again over God's ways, and they rebelled, and, and God so much then wasn't absent, but rather His people were. You know, and as a result, they were always at war, and because of that, the nation of Israel was torn apart, and God's people were scattered all over the known world, and the Old Testament well, you could just say it's full of these dreary, you know, times, no doubt about it. I mean, it's why some describe it much like the middle of a very long and cold winter. And then add to that a cumbersome system of sacrifices designed to atone for the people's sins. And it's, well, it's clear before long that something has to change. And when you read the words of the prophets and you hear their cries and and especially as the Old Testament comes to a close, you know, you can hear it in the voice of the prophets in verses like Isaiah chapter 64, verse 1, when he cried out, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. That word rend means to tear open with force and, and, and to rip apart. And, and Isaiah is basically saying, please come back, Lord. I mean, do it when we need you and we need you now. Or the prophet Ezekiel speaking for God and Ezekiel offers these promising words in Ezekiel 37, 21 when he says, I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone and I will gather them from all around and bring them back into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them and they will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. Ezekiel points out for us that there is hope, but I want you to notice that these words are in the future tense. And so God says, I will, but the people had to be thinking, when, Lord? When's that time going to come? Or the prophet Malachi in Malachi 4, 2, when he says, but for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. Again, it's hope, but it's a future hope. And it must have left people wondering how much longer and when will you act. act. And when you think about that divide or that bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament being somewhere around 400 years and, and the prophets were silent during those times. I mean, any significant word, it just wasn't there. And you could say that God was silent in some sense. I mean, imagine if you would growing up in the days of the Old Testament and hearing and reading these prophecies from the past and imagine you'd been taught them over your lifetime and words like Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 when Isaiah says the Lord himself, he he will give you a sign and the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Try and imagine if you would the desperation of waiting and longing, and wondering when this Messiah, this Savior, Emmanuel, will come. Will you try? Will you try with me? Will you just try and imagine the desperation of these people in Israel?
1: The Son of God We joy, sweet joy. first the gloomy clouds of night, in death's dark shadows put to fly. come
0: Can you hear uh, the desperation in a song like that? You know, when you consider those words, and I don't know if that tune was around, you know, 2,000 years ago, but can you imagine similar sort of words being spoken and just the hearts of the people as they were crying out, you know, two or three thousand years ago? I mean, you know, even living out these words, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, people then they knew the promises of God, but just were waiting and hoping and wondering, when is our God going to act? I wonder. If any of you came in here with any sort of desperation in your life today. I mean, you came in here with any sort of long, any kind of hunger, I mean, maybe desperation for answers, or uh, you described it as a desperation for greater purpose, or, you know, maybe if you know Christ as your Savior, maybe it's a desperation uh, for more of God. Well, over uh, the next few weeks, we're going to study together the life and the ministry of Jesus together, and I just want to say that no matter where you are right now, uh, in your life or in your faith journey, I just want to encourage you and I want to challenge you to get more desperate for Him and to get desperate to learn more and to know more and maybe even starting this morning to ask God to open up your eyes and your heart to see Jesus and so that you might ask what his life, what that life means for you. You know, 2,000 years ago, again, the people were waiting and they were desperate, but maybe the most hope-filled words and phrase in all of the scripture comes right out of the hand of the apostle Paul when he wrote in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. And that's the great news. You know, that's why we can celebrate Christmas, you know, not just on December 25th, but we can celebrate it even today that on the set time, the God's appointed time means that he had a plan and at just the right time, he sent his son. Again, we're going to explore. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the life and the ministry of his son, a man named Jesus, uh, over these next weeks together. And what we're going to do, uh, if you're new to this, is we're going to use four different accounts of his life, uh, authored by four different men. And you're going to see this for yourself. And we call, what we do is we call these four different accounts. You maybe have heard this word before. Uh, We call them the Gospels. Uh, They're the first four books in the New Testament and uh, named by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, named after their authors. But what they are is they are four narratives that tell the same story uh, from four different perspectives. Now, maybe you're wondering to yourself, okay, how in the world uh, does something like that work? Well, look at it like this. Um, You know how today, uh, whenever anything happens, uh, let's take an unfortunate accident, for example. I mean, with all of the smartphones today and with all of the security cameras that are out there, it's only a matter of time before all sorts of eyewitness accounts surface. And each person offers a different angle or a different perspective. Well, the gospels are kind of like that. And so we're going to look at them together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to look at their four different perspectives, on the life of Jesus because together they tell a compelling story all about when the Son of God, when Jesus Christ walked on the earth. Now, if you're taking notes and you're following along with us, um, look at it like this. When we talk about the Bible, when we talk about God's story, I like the way one writer said it, that we can take the Bible and you can break it up really, if you would, into three parts. Uh, Write these down. Um, The Old Testament is all about Jesus' coming Uh, The beginning of the New Testament, the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John say Jesus is here, and the rest of the New Testament reminds us that Jesus is coming back. And so let's start by looking at these four different accounts together or these gospels and how they treat uh, Jesus, the son of God, his birth. Uh, Let's look at that right from the very beginning. We're just going to barely touch on a couple of these. But the first one, first of all, is the book of Mark. And let's just note the book of Mark for a moment. Now, uh, you might find it interesting that the book of Mark is silent on the birth of the king, Jesus Christ, but it's not because Mark believed it didn't happen. But what Mark did is he chose to start his version of Jesus' story with the baptism of jesus and we're going to talk about that a little bit more next week when we come back together matthew starts with the genealogy of jesus and and that's really important because you know we often if you're like me we want to skip over uh, those genealogy sections of the bible because they get a little long and, and they just seem like a long list of names but let's not forget that every story has a name And we believe that every story, every person matters to God. And Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. Now, that makes the genealogy of Jesus especially important. Uh, if you're a Jewish listener, because they would have been listening and they would have been looking for names, uh, names that follow, follow specific family lines, and all of the Jews would have believed that Jesus the Messiah, the one who would be Savior, that he would eventually come from the line and the family of David. And so what Matthew does is he spends a lot of time from the very beginning laying out these names, starting with the name of Abraham all the way back from the Old Testament and just helping us to see where Jesus comes from. And so if you read... If you read in Matthew chapter 1 from the beginning, you're going to see names like Abraham and Jacob and Judah and Boaz, the husband of Ruth, and David and Hezekiah and Josiah, people we studied, people we talked about in the previous 21 weeks of the Old Testament. And if you keep reading through those names, you finally reach Joseph. And he was pledged to be married to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and that's Matthew. And his use of genealogy is especially important if you're a Jewish listener now john 's account is even different uh, it 's got and more of an eternal sort of slant it 's some would say more poetic or maybe even has a more romantic feel to it and John starts out like this if you 're in your Bible in John chapter one, starting in verse one here 's what he says. He says, "In the beginning was the word. notice." That word, Word, uh, is capitalized. It's from the Greek word, uh, logos. And there's a ton of significance packed into that word. But for you and me and our understanding today, he's talking about Jesus. And he says, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Now, skip over, if you would, to verse 14. He says, the Word, that's Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's just a fancy way of saying Jesus was born. He came to this earth in skin, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And so what John is saying, what John was saying was that that Jesus wasn't just simply the Son of God, but he is God. And he has—he—he he was there in the very beginning when the world was made. And at the right time, he entered creation, becoming fully human, just as we are. And so, while Matthew focused on more of a historical view of Jesus, John again focused on more of a spiritual or eternal view of Jesus. But then there's a fourth, and I think the version that everyone is familiar with comes right out of the Book of Luke and turn back, if you would, in the New Testament to Luke chapter 2, and it's the version that many of us remember hearing on Christmas Eve. Uh, Maybe you remember it when you were a kid. Um, It's the version that Linus uh, spoke to the Peanuts uh, gang in the Charlie Brown Christmas special, and you can find it in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Just listen and follow here for a moment. of or... Do I have you believe in it's Christmas yet? <laughs> but it's Luke's account. And uh, one of the things that I hope that maybe you noticed in that reading there and in those words are all of the details. All right, all of the details. And I want you to hang on to those for just a second. And you might ask, well, why do we share a story like this today? Well, I just think it's important for you. I, I want you to see, and maybe if you're new to all this, I want you to see and really know and understand who it is, uh, th- who is this Jesus. Now, here's something that you might find fascinating Luke, the, the, the gospel writer Luke, was a very well-educated uh, man of science. In fact, many people believe that he was a physician. And while at least of the co- a couple of the gospel writers spent time with Jesus, Luke is one biographer of, of that actually never really walked with Jesus. I mean, he never met this man as far as we know. And that's interesting. I mean, that's fascinating to me. When you consider that Luke's account then wasn't based on an eyewitness perspective, But instead for Luke, he took a very scientific approach to his account, talking to the witnesses, gathering the evidence. Uh, Luke was writing to a Greek audience, and that's important to understand because the Greeks didn't simply want history. They didn't want poetry. The Greeks wanted facts. They wanted details. And Luke was a human like you and me, and he went seeking this truth, and he went seeking these facts About Jesus. Uh, Turn back, if you would, to Luke chapter 1. Starting in verse 1, look how Luke starts his account. He writes it like this Many have undertaken, again, put yourself in the uh, presence. Are in the midst of these Greek listeners, he says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled. Now, what he's referring to here are all of these prophecies from the past that he's looked into and how these things are gonna play out, how they've covered hundreds of years. He says, how they've been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by, to, by those who, who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Verse three, with this in mind, This is Luke's words again. Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, which was most likely a friend of his. And then he says to him, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Now, here's why Luke's account would have been important to his audience at this time. All of the Jewish people, for example, would have previously heard these predictions from the Old Testament. Again, we'll call them prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, things like where he would be born and and where he would come from. And Luke wanted to try and capture as much of this as possible, but in a very scientific way to make sure that they understood and that he believed in Luke's mind that Jesus Christ truly was the Son of God, the Messiah the Jewish people had been waiting for. And so as we read through the Old Testament, um, we've read, and maybe you remember, some of the prophecies like these from hundreds, if not thousands of years ago. Prophecies like in Genesis 22, 18, when it says the king will be a descendant of Abraham. And then we see that fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1. Or another prophecy where the king says, it says the king will come from the line of David. We read about that in Jeremiah 23. Well, this was shown fulfilled in Matthew 1 and in Luke chapter 3. Uh, We hear about the king and how he will be born in Bethlehem. Micah talked about this in Micah chapter 5, again fulfilled in Luke chapter 2. Or the prophecy that says that the king will be born of a virgin. We saw that a moment ago in Isaiah chapter 7, again fulfilled in Luke chapter 2. Or the one that says the king will be honored by gifts from foreign kings. You can read about that in Psalm 72, and then we see it fulfilled in Matthew 2. Or the prophecy that says that the king will be worshiped by shepherds. Again, written about in Psalm 72, fulfilled in Luke 2. Or the prophecy said that the king will enter the temple. We read about that in Malachi chapter 3, some 400 years before, and then we read it fulfilled in Luke chapter 2. And then the prophecy says that the king will flee and return to Egypt. You can read about that in Hosea, the Old Testament book of Hosea chapter Chapter 11, again fulfilled in Matthew 2. Now, these are just eight prophecies about the coming Messiah, the King of the Jews, uh, and how they were laid out in the Old Testament. And I give you only eight because I want to share with you some mathematical research uh, that I was reading about this past week. Now, this research was conducted by a man by the name of Peter Stoner, a professor of mathematics and astronomy at Pasadena City College in California. And Stoner is an expert in probability theory. Now, I have no idea what that means, uh, but it seems very smart. But what he did is he calculated the chances that one man, born in Bethlehem, could fulfill eight of these Old Testament prophecies. And do you know what he found? He found that the odds were 1 in 10 to the 17th power. 1 in 10 to the 17th power. Now, to most of us, people like me, numbers that big are absolutely meaningless. So here's another way that I heard it explained. Imagine if you would, filling this entire room two feet deep full of silver dollars. And here's what I would do. I would take one of those silver dollars, and I would randomly mark an X on that silver dollar, throw it back in the pile, and that I would give each of you one chance to reach in on the very first try and grab that silver dollar that has the X on it. Now, would you say that those odds are 1 in 10 to the 17th power? No, not even close. Because here's what you'd have to do. Um, You wouldn't have to just simply fill Noblesville. With two feet deep of silver dollars, or even the state of Indiana, two feet deep with silver dollars. Well, what you have to do is take the entire state of Texas and fill the entire state of Texas 20 feet deep with silver dollars. And then I would take one silver dollar and I would mark an X on that silver dollar, throw it back in the pile, and then you get one shot to reach in and grab the appropriately marked silver dollar on the first try. That's closer to one in 10 to the 17th power, sword of odds. An impossible task? Yeah, I think so. I think you get to the point. And that's just to fulfill eight of the prophecies of Jesus. Friends, did you know that the Old Testament contains over 300 Prophecies about the coming king and Messiah, 60 major ones and 250 minor prophecies. And I can tell you that in reading the four gospels, uh, accounts of Jesus' life, he fulfilled each and every one of those prophecies. And most of the prophecies, you know, a person would have no control over whether they fulfilled or not. Things like where you were born or who your parents were. His birth was not just improbable, it was miraculous. Jesus is the one who was promised to the people of God by God. And so here, to me, here's what this story of Jesus' birth tells us and what's important for you and me to understand today. It's in your notes. It's that our God always keeps his promises, that our God is faithful and because he, you know, Jesus is the one who promised, you know, that he promised, you know, our God is faithful and that people were desperate. And God was faithful in sending his son, Jesus Christ, at just the right time. And when you see it for yourself, and when you begin to see and understand how the story unfolds, and you look back over the past 21 weeks, you know, we've been studying the Old Testament. You can see that it was God's plan. It's always been God's plan to send Jesus. It wasn't a last-ditch effort. It wasn't a plan B of sorts. Jesus was and has always been the plan, and he is a gift from God, and he gave his life on the cross as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't present some challenges uh, to the people around him, you know, for the Jewish people especially. I mean, they were expecting a powerful, militaristic sort of a king. They expected someone who would come in and lead them into battle and deliver them from their enemies once and for all. But that's not the king that our God sent. And because Jesus didn't look like a king, many people living at the time would have mistaken his identity and maybe ultimately missed the Messiah. I mean, after all, I mean, he didn't look like a king. I mean, people expected him to be born in a palace, and he was born in a barn. I mean, they, they expected him to come from this great big city, and he came from a hick town. I mean, they expected him to come riding in on a mighty horse, and instead he chose a donkey. And because he wasn't always what people expected, many people, and I mean many people, refused to believe that he was the Savior promised by God. You know, maybe you come in here today with an opinion of who Jesus is, or maybe you would come in here today and you would say, you know what, I have at least have an opinion of of who I don't believe that he is. You know, whether those opinions for you are based on previous experiences, hurts or letdowns, and maybe you've come in here today and you've already made up your mind who you think Jesus is, and maybe you'd say that he's nothing more than a historical figure. Uh, maybe you'd look at his life and you'd acknowledge that he must have been a good teacher, he must have been a man with great morals, or at least a good guy. Maybe you'd go as far to say, you know, he certainly was a prophet, but equal to the prophets of the Bible or in other religious texts and other religions. Let me just say this. If that's your opinion of him, and if that's where it ends, uh, with Jesus for you, can I just say that you may be involved in a case of my mistaken identity to Because Jesus wasn't just a good man or a good teacher or even just a prophet. I mean, as the scriptures say, for unto you is born in this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And his name is Jesus, it's Emmanuel, and it means God with us. I I love how the atheist turned follower of Jesus and Oxford and Cambridge professor, the late author C.S. Lewis says it in his masterpiece, Mere Christianity, He reads like this. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the foolish, the really foolish thing that people often say about him that I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He didn't intend to. Friends, what's your opinion of Jesus? Um, I, I think you better have one that we all need one together. Now, I'm making the assumption that we all do, and, and here's, well, here's what I'd like to ask everyone to do with me. Um, uh, no matter whether you've been around church all your life or maybe you've been around church for just a few years now or something like that. I mean, maybe, maybe you attended church a long time ago or one that you attended on the holidays or something and, and you're just now coming back. Uh, maybe all of this is brand new to you. Uh, Here's what I'd like to ask you to do with us over these next couple of months together. I'd like to ask you to open up your heart and mind, maybe for the first time, and just let Jesus be Jesus. And and as you read for yourself that no matter how long it has been, that you'll just let Jesus be Jesus. And and as we get started today, um, you know, do this for yourself. Just take the journey with us. Uh, Read through the story. Get a copy. Uh, read through your Bible on your own with us. Follow the reading plan on the back of the worship program. I mean, read and listen for yourself and just let Jesus be Jesus because maybe maybe for some of you, you're here today and you already know who he is and you know he's the son of God and you know and you understand what his death means for you in your life, But but isn't it the truth? I mean, isn't it so true? I mean, can't we get so comfortable and so used to the story that it almost becomes old news? And what happens is, I mean, we forget what his birth really means. Like, listen, listen. If you're here today and you find yourself lacking in some desperation right now for Jesus, ask God for more. I mean, let it start today and ask God for more. Or maybe you recognize it in your life right now. You're not satisfied with where you are and you've been going through the motions. Well, let Jesus be Jesus. Jesus. And let his life speak to your life and trust him to do something new in your life, maybe like nothing he's ever done before. And ask God to give you a greater hunger for him. Or, or for others of you, I mean, maybe these next few weeks in the stories we read together are going to make all of the difference for you as you're reminded that he truly is the son of God and not only the son of God, but he is God and he is faithful and he always keeps his promises and, and he's always on your side no matter what you're going through in your life and he can see you through and, and, and get this, get this with me, read it for yourself. Like do the work. And don't just come on Sundays, but read the story for yourself. You know, join a connection group so you can discuss with others what you're learning and hear what they're learning too, and just get desperate for more. Because here's the thing, you can never reach the end with our God. And so get desperate and get hungry for more. Or finally, and maybe this, maybe you're here today, and this is all brand new. I mean, this is all brand new to you, And you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you've never uh, made him the Lord of your life. But you've got an opinion of Jesus, but not an opinion of Jesus that's ready to say that you're going to declare him Savior. And if that's you, can I just challenge you with this? Take the motivation of somebody like Luke. Like, take his motivation. I mean, he must have had all sorts of questions about Jesus. I mean, what else would have inspired him to take all of these years to investigate these matters? I mean, he went to great lengths to verify the historical accounts of everything that he had heard and what others were saying. And what was he able to conclude in the end? I know for certain this man, Jesus, is indeed the Christ, the Son of God. Can I challenge you? Can I challenge you to do that work to you? I mean, read it for yourself. Come in here on Sunday mornings or on Sunday nights with us and and listen and and see and hear the stories of what, what Jesus not only did then, but what he's doing today and what he's doing in the lives of others, you know, through this church. I mean, don't you owe it to yourself to be absolutely certain about this man named Jesus because in all of history, who else can you say? has gained more attention, deserves more attention, or has attracted more attention. I mean, so much attention that 2,000 years later, people all over the world are still talking about him today. Don't you owe it to yourself to be certain that you get this Jesus thing right? You know, and keep in mind, I mean, we live in a day and age where in most circles, every every opinion is considered valid and correct. But I have to tell you that when it comes to Jesus, that's not true because he can only be one thing. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the promised one. He's the Messiah. And the most important decision that you're ever going to make in your life is to trust Him as Savior and Lord because one day Jesus is going to return and when He does, He's going to gather all those around Him who call Him Lord and He's going to take us to heaven. But don't take my word for it. Do the work for yourself. Come discover it for yourself as we work through the rest of the New Testament and the story. In closing, um, I found this I- interesting. You know, in all of history, uh, there have only been, that we, as far as we know, 12 men that have walked on the moon. And um, one of those men was a man by the name of James Irwin, uh, an astronaut. And after his journey to the moon, as you can imagine, uh, he had plenty of chances to tell his story through many presentations and gatherings and letters. And for most of his life, the astronaut. James Irwin would end his letters with this statement. There is one thing better than man walking on the moon, and that's God walking on the earth. Isn't it true? If we check it out for yourself? Um, do the work. You know, again, the entire story of the Bible is the story that Jesus is coming, Jesus is here, and Jesus is coming again. For the next couple of months, we're going to focus on the Jesus is here and the Jesus is coming again part. And what I want to invite you to do is to get desperate, to get hungry for more. Ask God to give you a greater hunger for Jesus so that no matter where you are in your life right now, you see more of him. And I promise you, you're not going to regret it.